0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: Uh, tonight we're going to talk about blood, frogs, lice, and flies. That's blood frogs, lice, and flies, as we are in Exodus chapter 7 and Exodus chapter 8. And this is a familiar story. A lot of you know it. There might be some of you that don't. Um, I will try not to be boring. I will try to look at things, some things from a different angle, so that for those of you who are familiar, you'll get a fresh look at it. And hopefully still tell the story. If you don't know the story, that you'll still hear it and and get the story because it's a great story, one of the great stories of the Bible. Um, And we're going to pick this up. God has already called Moses. Moses grew up in Egypt, first 40 years of his life. And then for whatever reason, and we talked about the different reasons that might have been, he ended up uh, identifying with his own people to the point where he, even though he was raised in the Egyptian royal court, he ended up killing an Egyptian overseer and fleeing for his life. F- went into the land of Midian, ended up uh, joining a family there, marrying the daughter of uh, Jethro. and staying out there for 40 years before God called him back and it's not been long since God has called him back of course God spoke to him that's a big deal but he gets back and even though he had a good start things started to not go well when he went to Pharaoh the first time and said let my people go and the Pharaoh said well you must be lazy all of you all the children of Israel so we're going to kick things up, make it harder for you to make your brick. You'll have to gather your own straw. And straw, it sounds weird that straw would be used to make mud brick, but they did need it to make mud brick. It made a better brick. Ooh, <clears throat> excuse me. Made a better brick. And they had to gather it themselves. So the people were mad. Moses was upset. And he complained to God, and that's okay. If you look through the Psalms, there's a lot of complaining to God. Um, and God said, Well, you're going to go back, and you're going to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he didn't want to do it, but he did it anyway. And we're going to pick up. Starting in Exodus chapter 7 with verse 1 So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God the Pharaoh and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land and I will harden the Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt but Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may land lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. So before he sends Moses back in to talk to Pharaoh, giving him a pep talk, giving him an overview of the things that he was going to do. Not giving him the details, but giving him the overview. Okay. Now, remember, when we think about at least the older people here, anybody who's over over the age of 30, for sure, and then some of you who are younger, you know that in, in, in some movies and in some books, Moses comes off as somebody who's very, very sure at all times of what God's telling him to do. But we're seeing here it's a Moses who is not sure of what God is telling him to do. Not all the time, certainly when God's talking to him. But then in other times, he's very uncertain. And we're going to talk about that. So we're not just going to talk about blood and frogs and lice and flies. We're going to talk about uncertainty because we're uncertain, aren't we? Sometimes we feel that maybe God talks to us, and, and at least in small ways. I do anyway. want to hear um, Pastor Joe preach or hear somebody else preach or or I'm reading something out of the Bible and I feel God speaking to me. Some of you may feel the same way. I'm not talking about necessarily, um, and I've mentioned this from time to time growing up where people I'd hear either on the radio or in person, people claiming that God spoke to them in some you know, tremendous supernatural way. You you can come away feeling that, well, I must not be much because God God didn't speak to me in that way. Uh, First of all, God's speaking to us in a way that's appropriate for us now. And B, when God spoke directly to Moses, he still had uncertainty. Moving along. Picking up with verse 6. Then Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded them, so they did and Moses was eighty years old, and aaron eighty three years old when they spoke to Pharaoh It sounds like it's old. I don't believe they looked what we would consider to be eighty or eighty three although you can you can be in your eighties and be in great shape my um my father-in-law he's 85 and he's a nationally ra- ranked racquetball player in his age group and you could take the um, five youngest guys here line them up and he'd beat us one after the other I, i'm not sure that i'd be one of the five youngest guys by the way but five youngest and he'd beat him and uh but the, the, i'm sure they would look to us to be younger more like in your 40s or 50s certainly not feeble but we move on. Verse eight, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when Pharaoh speaks to you saying, show me a miracle for yourselves. Then you shall say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants and it became a serpent. Okay, question to ask yourself. Recall that Moses spent the first 40 years of his life as part of the Egyptian royal family, and he had seen wise men and sorcerers in the Egyptian court. The Lord instructed him to have Aaron throw down his rod, but he knew sorcerers would be there What did he expect would happen? What did he expect would happen? Take a moment. Is it reasonable that he knew of sorcerers doing things in the Egyptian court like turning a staff into a snake? He didn't say anything to God. He didn't say anything to Aaron. But could that have been in the back of his mind? Would that be reasonable? I mean, I think it would be. But let's press on and see what we find. Picking up in verse 11. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. So the magicians of Egypt, they did also in the like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. So, what do you think happened here? Do you think it was magic, like really like dark arts happening? Could it have been an illusion? Could it have been some kind of trick? It didn't really matter, did it? If it was an illusion, well... Aaron's rod that turned into a snake ate the illusion. If they somehow used trickery to produce a real snake, Aaron's rod that became a snake ate the snake. And if somehow they managed to have a snake snakes appear by dark arts, Aaron's rod that turned into a snake ate those snakes, showing the superiority of the God of Israel. And that is exactly the message that they would have received. Picking up in 14, So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning, and when he goes out to the water, you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned to a serpent, you shall take in your hand. So that's the plan. Now, there was probably some sort of procession when, when the Pharaoh did this. And I'm sure that there was a certain time of day where he did it every day. So I'm pretty sure that Moses, I mean, it had been a while since he'd been in the court, but it would have been fairly easy for him to figure out what time to be there to meet him. Now, looking back, do you think Moses was surprised that their staff, um, about their staffs becoming snakes? Was he surprised about the one, um, surprised that Aaron's snake ate the other ones? He might have been, but he might have also been relieved. But he's puzzled by what to do next. God told Moses a lot of general things but some of the specific things he didn't tell them until at that time but then we see as we're going along god would tell him only certain things to do the next steps he didn't give him all the steps like you get a book okay here's what we do here's how we're going to do the plagues and and do this this this, this and turn the page he he didn't know exactly what was going to happen but he knew in general what was going to happen and he was needed to be prepared to be listening to God okay Exodus 7:16 to 18 and God speaking and you shall say to him the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you saying let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness but indeed until now you would not hear thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood, and the fish that are in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall be loath to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord said, spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, take your rod and stretch your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, over their pools of water, that they may may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. He lifted up the rod and he struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the water that was in the river were turned to blood. And the fish that were in the river died. And the river stank. And the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt the plague of blood. Was it literal blood? Could have been, it could have been. Could it have been something else like, uh, for example, and this is one that happens, a deadly red algae bloom, but one that happens so suddenly and so pervasively, and not just in rivers and streams, but also in, 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 in bowls and pitchers. Is it possible? maybe the Nile actually goes you know like it in our country and the Mississippi River goes north to south in Egypt south to north and it passes through Ethiopia where there's red clay deposits could there have been red clay deposits that God suddenly caused to multiply I've heard it said. I'm not crazy about that one, but it's it's a possibility. What was important was that the water looked like blood. What was important was that people couldn't drink the water. And what was important was that s- the life in the river died. And there was a writing that was found. And it's the admonitions of Ipuwer, which is... 2050 years before Christ and the quote says why, why really the river Nile is blood if one drinks of it one rejects it as human and thirsts for water so it, it supports the idea that even if it wasn't literal blood that n- the Nile could have been um, in such a state that it would be compared to blood And it would be a miracle because it happened so suddenly and everywhere at once orchestrated meet happy not happy like happy happy joy joy if you're listening in on this podcast not h-a-p-p-y it's h-a-p-i happy is kind of blue and he's got some female body parts And a little odd-looking. He's the water and fertility god, and the flooding of the Nile would be called the arrival of Hapi. because, as we've mentioned before, both in Exodus and earlier in Genesis, they had a lot of gods in Egypt, a lot of gods. And it makes sense that there's a god that's intimately involved with the River Nile, which was important to the food supply. You see, the Nile would overflow every year and when it overflowed, it would irrigate so you get water to places that needed it. It would also carry um, mud and silt and that would um, sort of act as a fertilizer for the soil. And so the Egyptians depended on the Nile every single year and they associated this god with the Nile and yet the Nile turned to blood. And we'll deal with what the people must have been thinking at the end, but um, hold on to that for now. Seven twenty-two to 25. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. So this existed for a week. The story tells us some things. It tells us that all the water that was above ground turned to blood. So that's rivers. Rivers if he had something in a carafe or a bucket or a trough, it all turned to blood at the same time. But it also talks about digging for water. So if the water was below ground, not in a lake or a pond, but a well um, that they had to dig, a new well, it seemed like they could get water. And that would be how the magicians got water to demonstrate that they too could um, do the same thing. Otherwise, the story doesn't make sense. They had to get fresh water from somewhere. So they were able to get fresh water, not a lot compared to the population. So this was a great hardship for the people, but they were able to get by. Plus, the river started to stink. You had all the sea life that had died. And I got ahead of myself here. Yes, the groundwater had been turned to blood. And we covered that part too. Okay. We're moving on to chapter eight. So we're moving on because I don't want to get stuck into detail. I I think the story moves better as a story if it moves at a faster pace. So the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all of your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly and you shall go up and come into your house and into your bedroom, your bed, the houses of your servants on your people, into your ovens, into your kneading bowls and the frogs will come up on you on your people and on all of your servants. Frogs are kind of cute, aren't they? Uh, uh, Is there anybody, particularly ladies, who has a collection of ceramic frogs and maybe knickknacks? And if you don't, do you know anybody who does? I do. I know a few people who have collected frogs. And and, and yeah, I kind of think they're kind of cute. But, Think about having a few hundred of them in your house. Would they be that cute then? No. I, I, I've watched TV shows that talk about the plagues, and they talk about how the plagues could be orchestrated, and maybe that's true, but God orchestrates it because seven days is not long enough to get frogs. It's not long enough. If there was a natural process there, and I don't see how that would connect to the, to the river turning to blood, if there was a natural process, God had to both expand it and accelerate it. Or, God being God, he had frogs appear out of nowhere. He could have done either. He is God. So let's see what the people think about the frogs. Well, Picking up with verse 5, Then the Lord spoke to Moses let's pause there it seems like moses is there with pharaoh and then god's telling him what to do at that moment okay and so that must have been kind of weird because he's hearing the voice of god nobody else is hearing the voice of god but he's hearing the voice of god so that would kind of spook me out a little bit i'd have to get used to it i'm not sure that i would Then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt, and the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Now, I've been talking about Moses. How do you think Aaron felt when he was being asked to do some of these things? Hey, Aaron, take take your rod, wave it over the waters, summon frogs. Aaron's like, oh, "Okay," and he does it, and the frogs come. That would have weirded me out. It's a God thing. <laughs> it is. Um, I don't believe that Moses and Aaron were, as I remember them when I was a kid, as I remember them in the movies, so sure about themselves, so sure about God, so sure about everything. I don't think they. I, I don't think they were. I think they knew they trusted God, but. Every single step you have these decision points. You're going to wave your rod and and are frogs really going to come out? Really? Frogs? But he did it. He did it and they came. Meet Heket. This is from an inscription in Egypt. And yes, that's the head of a Frog. This is the goddess of childhood and fertility. This god is also involved in the resurrection of the deceased, which is a really big deal in Egypt. Okay. The mummies that you know about um, are actually part of that whole ritual for resurrection of the deceased in the afterworld. And if you had lots of money you got to go in style. Heket was depicted as a frog or as a woman with the head of a frog. Whew. Okay. And Egyptians liked frogs. I don't think they liked hundreds and hundreds of frogs all over the place. Nope. Picking up in 8, starting with verse 9, and Moses said to Pharaoh, except, the honor of saying, when I shall intercede for you and for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. So he said, tomorrow, and he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And the frog shall depart from you and from your houses and from your servants and from your people and they shall remain in the river only. So he said that you shall know that there is no one like the Lord our God. Um, if there was a human being that carried with him everything bound up in the religion of the Egyptians, it was Pharaoh. And here Moses is telling him that there's no God like our God. That must have made him angry. I believe that Pharaoh believed in himself that at some point his gods were going to rise up and defeat this upstart God of the children of Israel. That it just hadn't happened yet, but that it would. And that was possibly what he was thinking as he hardened his heart. He begins to start to do the right thing, but then he stops and he goes back and he says no. And you'll see that he'll do this over and over again during the plagues. Picking up with verse 12, then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and, and Moses cried out, to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses and of the courtyards and of the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. And when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart, did not heed them as the Lord had said. So, Pharaoh has gone back on his word, and I'm sure he's not happy. In his mind, I'm sure he thought, take the frogs away, that the frogs would leave. That's not what happened. The frogs didn't leave. The frogs died, all of them, at once. Maybe some people were thinking, you know, frog legs, they kind of taste like chicken. It, you can take all the frog legs you want, you're going to have all these other frogs left over. Plus, there's the rest of the frog that isn't leg. So, the river stinks, and now the land stinks. Everything stinks. It's terrible. And the Pharaoh has gone back on his word. So, we're going to continue. Picking up with verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth and it became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there was lice on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Not this finger here that I'm waving, but you know, they might've done that or they might've just said it's the finger of God. Pharaoh's heart grew hard. He did not heed them. Just as the Lord had said, some people, some readings of the scriptures say it's fleas. Others say lice. I don't care. <laughs> it, it's a bug. It's a bug that's up in your head. Now I never had fleas or lice. I, I I I I hope and pray I never do. But anybody who I ever knew got it because they became in contact with 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 uh, a child. It, it's a big deal, and they have to get treatment. And and yeah, uh, over the years, occasionally there's been a, a child, I've come to find out that that child turned out to have lice and we have to go check all the chairs and s- see if we have to clean anything. And, and there's a bit of panic that sets in. So it's not the kind of thing that people say, oh, okay, lice. And you might think, well, you know, it's back then. It's back in the land of Egypt. It's thousands of years ago. Well, you know, didn't everybody have lice? Well, No. But before we deal with that, let's meet Geb. That's Geb. God of the earth. So God of the earth, God of the soil. It would include dust. And he is associated with the goose. Why? I don't know. Yes, that is a goose on his head. So he walks around with a goose on his head. Every time you have a plague there's a, d- either a direct association to a god or there's direct in maybe indirect associations to one or more gods in their pantheon so got, we're moving along here god is making statements but the one thing about Egyptians and hygiene They were really into the hygiene back then. They really, really were. Men and women shaved their heads to prevent lice and fleas. So if you were a woman, you'd shave your head and then you'd put on a wig and that's what you would do. Now, men, they would shave their head. If you were a priest, well, you might shave your entire body every other day because if you were a priest, you couldn't have fleas or lice You couldn't have bugs of any kind on your body. If you did, you couldn't serve. So imagine their surprise when everybody had these bugs. And I mentioned here, it comes up, priests with lice and fleas could not serve. And they actually used, I mean, not in this particular time, just in general, they would not just shave themselves, but they would use different chemicals, different um, plant compounds um, to get rid of bugs, to prevent bugs from getting on them. So this was something that they took very seriously and this plague really struck home to the Egyptians, in particular, anybody who was a priest or in their family and anybody who was in the royal family. Picking up with verse 20, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me, or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people, and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, And also the ground on which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen. Where my people dwell. That no swarms of flies shall be there. In order that you may know. That I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people. And your people. Tomorrow this shine shall be. So this is the first time. That the children of Israel are spared the plagues. the first two, they suffered along with everybody else, but this one, or first three rather, this one they don't suffer. and he makes it a point of letting them know that. And the Lord did so thick swarms of flies. Came into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses and into all the land of Egypt, and the land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron, and he said, Go, sacrifice to your God in in the land. Um, Has anyone had to deal with a swarm of flies? I have. I lived in a place once, and there must have been a lot of fly eggs in this room, one room. And it was a room, it, it was built onto the house, I think, because it had um, one wall that was really pu- like connected to the house, but the other three walls weren't. So I didn't like the room anyway because it was really hot in the summer. It was really cold in the winter. But I, I liked it less in the spring when a fly popped up. And, and I, I killed it, and then another, then another, and then another. Then you had dozens of flies in this little room, and we're trying to get rid of them. And as as quickly as we're getting rid of them, there are more. I, it was really troubling. <laughs> now, um, so when I think of that, that's just one room, and a few dozen flies. Imagine the millions and millions of flies. Covering everything. It's horrible. Trust me. I Meet mean, Nut. Okay, Nut would be, you see the person I'm showing this picture, if you're listening on audio, I'm showing a picture of Nut. And Nut is sort of standing, not really standing, sort of has got the feet on the ground and the hands are on the ground and sort of arched, the body is arched. Up into the sky. That's not that that the big person at the top here is not. Ooh, okay. On my screen, it's it's right where it's supposed to be, but there it's offset. I'm sorry. Um, Goddess of the sky, wife of Geb. We met Geb earlier, and the mother of gods and goddesses of Cyrus, Horus, Set, Isis. And Nephthys. And the first four of those are among the most famous in the pantheon of the Egyptian gods. So, Nut's so another god that's a big deal, Be, in part because she's the mother of these really, really big, important gods in their pantheon. And, and Egyptians actually revered flies, they, 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 they admired the tenacity and the courage that flies seem to have. I never reverenced them in that way. In Exodus, they really they really call it swarms. So we kind of infer that it's some kind of fly. Um, they don't really say what kind of insect it is, but we're going to go with flies. So it seems to be the most obvious. Okay, picking up with, with verse 26. And Moses said, it's not the right thing to do. We would, for we would be sacrificing the, abomination of the Egyptians before the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very Far away, intercede for me, so he wants them to pray for him and pray for his land. Then Moses said, "Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh from his servants and from his people, but let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully any more in letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did, according to the word of Moses, he removed the swarm of flies from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. So this time he's gotten to the point where they've had a discussion about what would happen. And you can, when you kind of go back here, um, and Moses, in his discussion, is talking about the abomination of the Egyptians to Pharaoh, who's sort of like the figurehead of the Egyptian religion. And Pharaoh's listening. He's taking it. And he's even saying, oh, and please pray for me. So they did. And he changed his mind. So he's doing this over and over again now. And, and this is where uh, the scripture ends. But let's take a look at some perspectives Moses and Aaron they had the big picture at the beginning but along the way God would give them specific instruction, instructions at steps and then they would have to follow that instruction and I can just imagine just hold at the beginning especially like with the blood you know I'm going to is it really going to turn to blood okay I'm holding it out so that's Moses and also Aaron for Pharaoh these slaves have a God and the God's an upstart and he's challenging him and his gods and everything that he holds dear and he hates that and he hates them and he does not want to give in to them. The children of Israel. A little confused at first because they start to, by being the recipient of the same plagues that the Egyptians are. And they know that Moses is still trying to get them to go. And it must have been a little bit confusing at first. But then, as we go along, they're spared the plague of flies. But they're not sure what to think yet. The wise men, the sorcerers, the members of the Egyptian court, they know what to think. They said so with the lice. It's uh, the finger of God. They knew something was up. They knew it was something to take seriously. They told Pharaoh, and Pharaoh didn't want to hear it. At least not yet. And then there's the people of Egypt. And depending on where you were in Egypt would be what you knew. If you were, a lot of people lived along the Nile River because that's where a lot of agriculture happened. And so you had a food supply that was there and the Nile was there for transportation. You had a lot of the population along the Nile. Um, and I'm sure there was some, some communication. But if, if you were further away from uh, the, the Pharaoh's court, then there were just rumors. And maybe you're just wondering at this point if the, if, if the gods are mad at them and why and they don't understand what's going on. If maybe if you're closer to the court, Some rumors have started to travel about the God of um, the children of Israel and how he is involved somehow in these plagues. And I'm sure there's not just one story, but you know, rumors happen and you get five different versions of the story. And right now, these people have a lot of uncertainty. We don't. We know how the story ends, or at least most of us do. We know that God delivers his people. But for them, they're still in the middle of the story. So, um, The takeaway at this point is that um, the uncertainty part, I think for me, that's what I thought about, is that uh, in my life, things happen, and I'm not certain of what's going to happen next, a- and I should trust God. That's what Moses had to do. It's what Aaron had to do. That, and I feel better that they weren't these super spiritual people. I mean, maybe compared to me, they are. But beginning, they had to learn to trust God. They had to learn to trust God. They had doubt. They had uncertainty. Um, and even in their doubt and uncertainty, they, they obeyed God. And God delivered over
0: and over